All right, good morning, good morning. Um, <clears throat> man, I am, ex I don't know why, uh, just extra measure of nervous today. Um, but uh, welcome, welcome to Grace Life, welcome to Stepping Stone for our Sunday service. Um, we are going through a new series for those who are joining us, uh, Woman in the Bible series. And just give you a quick overview. I think, you know, we, as the uh, pastoral team and kind of the teaching team, kind of been thinking about this this topic and kind of just highlighting as we go through the redemptive story, the story of God, and just kind of highlighting uh, women that in the Bible that that really played a huge role in kind of the change and how God uses people and how big of a role that is sometimes that you know our small choices can make such a big change you know and how God can use ordinary people for his extraordinary plans and so you know as we go through this series we wanted to it sometimes it doesn't do it justice to do one week for uh, once woman or a group of people and so <clears throat> I, I, it's a fine line to kind of go through, and sometimes we have to give through a lot of context, like last week, of the bigger story and trying to condense it to one message, right, when it could be multiple messages. But today, I have it easier, easier than Larry. It's actually um, just one chapter, and so it's much easier for me to kind of go through. But, I, I, you know, this, today's story is about two women, and I think, you know, when, I, when, I, when he, Larry brought this up, uh, you know, I have to say, I was like, I don't remember these two people, you know, and I, it just it brings out just kind of the Bible quiz of just, man, there's so many people sometimes we just, we per perhaps read through the names and forget. But one of the major things that I want to bring up today is how God knows the names, how God brings out their story and how he uses them to change a trajectory of history for the Israelites. And so we're going to look at that today, <clears throat> and we have this eight-week um, series on the women in the Bible that we'll go through other people in Scripture that God highlights too, or that God brings out and we want to highlight. So <clears throat> today, the, the title, Unknown Heroines, uh, for, for us, we're going to go through three things that, that <clears throat> in this message that hopefully you can see, how they addressed their fears, addressing our fears in our lives, how that unites people together, how that draws people, um, <clears throat> and lastly, how they're known by God, you know. So we're going to look at the story in Exodus, Exodus 1, uh, and we're, <clears throat> we're going to go from verse 6 onwards to the end. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation died. This is, <clears throat> last week we talked about Hagar, we talked a little bit about how, <clears throat> just how God raised up Abraham, his descendants, and how his descendants would go to Egypt. Joseph is one of the, the people from Abraham's lineage. Him and his brothers, they all went there during the famine. He was used by God to save Egypt and all the surrounding nations around them. And it says here, but Israelites were, <clears throat> the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly and increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal truly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, 
and they <clears throat> built Pithom and Ramses as storehouse cities for the for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and with harsh labor in the brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to <clears throat> the Hebrew midwives, whose name was Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew woman during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then the Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I hope you notice that there's these two characters that, along with the Pharaoh. The Egyptians are fearing the Israelites as they're growing, as they, you know, they forget how much Joseph was used by God to save the whole nation of Egypt, along with all the surrounding country. And as, he, as they're thinking about how do we deal truly with them, they come up with the, the Pharaoh comes up with the plan. Number one, treat them harshly, make them do a lot of hard labor. Number two, they're going to limit their population. And by doing so, they ordered the midwives to kill off any baby boy that's born, right? Then hopefully reducing their population. And the first thing I wanted to kind of bring out is this idea of addressing our fears. For these two characters, Shifra and Pua, right? Their names, as we look at them, as we think about them, that they, would, they were ordered by the Pharaoh. They were ordered by the king to give this kind of <clears throat> command to all the midwives to kill off every Hebrew boy that was born. That when they were to see the birth of a boy, that they would immediately kill the boy, right? And this is in the context, you gotta know that this king has been doing this for, has been treating the Israelites harshly, right? As I kind of made clear, is that they made their lives harsh, <clears throat> with, uh, bitter with harsh labor, and then they were ruthless with the Israelites. So it's not just this one incident, it's that you see his life, this, the Pharaoh commanding and actually treating the Israelites in this way, right? And in this way, this context, he gives these two midwives the command, kill the Israelite babies, baby boys, right? Take a step back and think about this. Think about this Pharaoh that's commanding these two midwives, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I remember, you know, just what am I afraid of? You know, when you stand before someone that has great power and they're telling you to do something, is that how do you respond? How would you respond when you're told to even do something perhaps morally or ethically wrong? How would you respond? All right, even I, as I think about this, I even think, you know, when I went on a, a camping trip years ago, and I was with Andrew, we were driving together, I was talking to him, 
And as we're going to Shenandoah, we're, you know, I was speeding a little bit, and I, I didn't even see the cop. The cop was driving right by me, and right when he, right when I passed the cop, you know, it's that moment where you see the cop stop on your rearview mirror, and then you see them turn and come right behind you, and I was like, oh, man, I got caught, right? And I remember when I got pulled over and the cop was talking to me, I'm like fumbling with my words. You know, for some reason, I don't know why, I get all nervous and my hands start shaking a little bit. I'm looking for the, and I don't even know why. You know, I, I, I get it. I got pulled over. I was speeding in the national park. And, um, <laughs> and, and you know, he said, hey, you know, I, it won't count towards your record since you're in the national park, but you have to pay this fine, you know. But I, I just remember that because there are many times, and even recently, I was driving in, and you know, I always get nervous when a cop just suddenly pulls right behind you, and they're just driving right behind you, just hovering over you, right? And I'm looking at the rearview mirror, and then suddenly he goes away, and he goes and pulls up the car in front of me. You know, I was just like, whoa, this is, you know? But imagine that, just that for me, that fear, times by multiple, 100 times where you know that the outcome is not perhaps just a ticket, but your life, right? These midwives had to address that fear. You know, there's this, <clears throat> there's this show, Fear Factor. I don't know if you guys, I don't even think it's on anymore because, yeah, yeah, that's not on anymore. <laughs> you know, and I, it's so long ago I watched it. But, you know, I remember, the, you know, if you know me, I don't like spiders. And so... You know, there's like these, sh when I remember watching them, and they have to, they put their face in this cage, and then they have these spiders crawl all over, or they have to eat these beetles. I don't, I'm just like, forget it. I don't want the money, right? I don't want to win because I don't, I can't overcome that fear, you know, with that spider crawling over me. I and mean, for some people, they just, no problem, right? But I think what we see in this story, what we see in the story that stands out, is how the midwives, when, they, when we ask about what do we fear, who do we fear, is that they ask themselves, no, my life here is not everything. That they stood their ground, not because of what they could do, but because this. It says, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. You know, they, they addressed their fear by not necessarily just <clears throat> running away, perhaps like what, we, what I do at times, or avoiding the topic, or following through, perhaps going with the flow of the, you know, what everyone wants. But they addressed it by first asking and asking themselves, who am I really standing before? Am I standing before my boss here, this, this Pharaoh right now, or am I standing before God? And it says that they feared God, and they didn't do that. They didn't follow through with what they were commanded. I think many times when we're in these junctions, I think the question of whether or not what, what we're afraid of is perhaps not the question just to ask. Perhaps the question also is, who do we serve under? What are we under the authority? Who are we standing before? In Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11, verse 23, Moses, you know, that, that edict, throw the babies into the river. His parents were noted, it says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they, he, they saw he was no ordinary child. 
And what did it say? They were not afraid of the king's edict. Right? That it was not just the midwives, but I think as what the midwives did, it reverberated throughout the society, throughout people in the Israelites, that other people also caught on. That they were not afraid, knowing what the outcomes might be. I think more and more this, <clears throat> this standing up for what is right, moral or ethics or whatever you might be caught into at some point in your life or maybe never is important of asking ourselves what do we really believe, value, and stand for? I know this, the whistle, uh, whistleblowers, you know, you hear about them all different places and how important they are <clears throat> in changing trajectories of whether it's morally, um, uh, <clears throat> morally in actions that, that were harmful to a great population, right? Or they were <clears throat> doing things that, you know, were corrupt and that these people stood up and, and let the people know, let others know that no, this is not right. You know, perhaps we're not all called to be that, that amount of whistleblowers to stand up, but I wonder in our daily lives, how often do we stand up for what is true, what is right? How, do we, how often do we stand up for what we fear God of knowing that that is what God wants or desires or wants us to live? I remember uh, for, for myself, you know, I think in research, there's always this temptation, right, in the beginning of just like, oh man, my numbers, I might, my, my numbers, my research, it's just all going crazy. I don't know what's happening, all this stuff. And it could be easily somehow changing some numbers around, changing some things to understand it in certain ways, right? Or perhaps the financial statements or wherever you might work at, they might ask you, change a little here, report those numbers there. You know, I think more and more the importance of having integrity and fearing not men, but God, perhaps could give us a lot more courage to do what is right and what is good, All right? <clears throat> in the story, in the, another story that uh, Peter and John, as they were healing, they healed this lame man as they were walking to the temple, and everyone saw how this man was healed. It's one of my favorite stories in Acts 3, and, and the <clears throat> leaders of the, of the temple, the Pharisees, they commanded Peter and John not to speak, to say, hey, don't speak about this, don't teach anymore about this Jesus, and they, bring him, they brought them in front of them. And in, in verse 18 in chapter 4, it says, then they called Peter and John again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They do it again later on. They, they bring him in front of the people because they realize they can't stop this, right? And these apostles were again in chapter 5 brought before uh, these leaders in Sanhedrin. It says in verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, this name, he's, he said, yet you have fulfilled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood, Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. There's something about when we stand 
before God, what will he think about our actions, our choices, what we are doing, and how that affects those around us? Whether it's, <clears throat> whether it's uh, you know, for people in the health industry, whether it's saying and covering up with it for another person, whether it's in the finances, whether it's in programming, in design and engineering, right? There's always times where people might put pressure to say, hey, it's okay. You know what? This design is supposed to work. We just have to work out the kinks. But the reality is we have those quality control, whatever it might be, to protect people. And in those moments in time, if you might be, <clears throat> you might encounter in your life, how would you respond? I think asking ourselves, who do we fear? Who do we stand for? What we believe is right are what these two women showed us. That it says that they feared God more than they feared or obeyed the king's orders. If we don't address these fears in our lives, we will be driven. We'll be driven by pleasing people, by going with the flow, perhaps not even standing up for what is right. Because there are and there can be consequences, real ones. But I think when we do that, I think it, it, it ignites and unites people together. Right, right now, there are only two names, Shifra and Puya, that, that are brought up. But I want to <clears throat> highlight and actually believe in my opinion that there's more than just these two midwives for all of Israel right, at that time. They were perhaps the leaders, perhaps the, the representative of a group of midwives or however many. Because you see earlier on, it says the Israelites, they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became soon, so numerous in the land, was filled with them, right? This perhaps was not all of Egypt, but where they were in Goshen. But it became a lot more people than what first entered at 70. The generations passed, and now there's more, right? I believe there's more than just two midwives. And I think that, if you see, united a group of people together. That not just the two of them stood up to the king, but all the midwives stood up to the king. You realize how, to me, how that is just a sign of their leadership? You know, this is indirect, right? That doesn't say that directly. But if you imagine that if any one of these midwives just stood up and say, hey, I don't want to do this, or a guard's watching me, I can't do this, or whatever it might be, that it could ruin the whole thing, right? Perhaps they didn't lie. Perhaps the women were vigorous and they came, always came late. But they had a plan to disobey the, the order of the Pharaoh, right? If that was brought up by just one person, I wonder how that would be. All right, now I have two boys and it's funny when I come home sometimes, you know, one of them at times would just be like, hey, do you know what this other person did? Right? They would automatically just tell on them. And I'm like, hey, it's, you know, you don't have to tell me. It's, you know, like, you don't have to tell me. But then they're like, you know what, David did this or Joel did that. Do you know, and just so that they'll be like, oh, what's going to happen? Right? But I realize how often when we take these 
kind of, and that's just, just fun and games sometimes, perhaps. But when we take these stands of what doing what's right, what might cost us our lives, that it takes more than just, hey, let's do this, but igniting a whole group of people, midwives, to also believe in the same thing, to do what is right, to fear God. I think that if anything, they address their fears and also their leadership of how they mobilized and worked together with all the midwives together. You know, I think as, as we think about how that looks like in our lifetime, or not in our particular, in our history and in, in the U.S., and even in the past especially, the Underground Railroad, right? Well, it was spelled wrong, I just realized. In this, in this, sorry, I brought attention to the graphics that I brought up. But, you know, I think, you know, whether it's this one or at the retreat I shared about uh, the under, Underground Network for the Holocaust for the Jews, that there are people that would be willing to stand up and do what is right to help other people, to do what they believe would be right, even in times where everyone else would say, wait, watch out for yourself, take care of yourself. You know, I, I think many times these stories sometimes give us a feeling of, oh, well, if I do what's right, it's going to be good, I'm good before God, and that's true but that their outcomes could also, <clears throat> consequences could be very real. I was reading Revelations from <clears throat> in my own studies and thinking about things, and in Revelations 20, in the story of Revelations, there's a, there's <clears throat> a you know, the, the, a beast is gonna come up, mark, mark people with this uh, sign, right, this number, and then that, that will recognize who they are, right? And it says kind of submitting to this false teacher, false, leader. And in Revelation 20, this really stood out to me in verses 4 to 6. You know, and John says this, he says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been, given, who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. I don't know what, all the imagery that's going to happen, but this really stood out. That there were people that stood up, that did not want to get, receive this mark on their foreheads or their hands, or worship this beast and its image, and they were beheaded. You know, I think doing what's right or choosing and then even addressing, sometimes it sounds great in these stories, but there is a, perhaps sometimes a cost and a realistic consequence. But when we fear God, when it says when they fear God, they knew what those consequences would be, and yet they still chose to do that. You know, their leadership, they made their own choices, but then their leadership also impacted all those midwives around them to make the same choices. I think oftentimes when we stand for what is right, what is true, I think the questions <clears throat> of addressing our fears and also allowing other people to know and uniting people together to stand what is right, 
is what we can see in this particular story. Perhaps lastly, the thing I want to highlight the most is how they're known by God. You know, uh, as I mentioned before, we may not remember, or you may not have remembered their names. I remember midwives, I remember the history in Exodus, but now I'll know their names. Shifra and Puya. Right, that they stood up for what is right. What's interesting is that the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, his name was never mentioned who it is. You contrast those two as the story continues and of just how this changed the trajectory. Moses is born. Israelites later on become this nation. They, they, <clears throat> he is exiled. You know, he runs away. He comes back, leads the people of ex- Israelites to the promised land. In the story of God in this arc of redemption, you see how these two people, along with the midwives, changed the whole trajectory. Imagine if there was no Moses, right? Imagine the Israelite nation coming to, <clears throat> whittling down. But what is true and what we see, you know, and, <clears throat> and that I'll, I'll show at the very end, is that God's plans can never be thwarted or taken away, right? <clears throat> Their choices impacted God's impacted the people, and God used these two and their midwives to change and to impact our lives today. I think about this because a story in Matthew 26 highlights something like this. You know, there's a story of Jesus as he's going, as he's finished his Passover, as he, as they're going into, or going into before Passover, going into being in Jerusalem, going in there, and you see the story at the very end of his life, he's getting anointed by this woman. And it says that as she comes, she breaks this beautiful jar of perfume and anoints him, right? Washes his feet, anoints him. And it says in Matthew 26, verses 10 to 13, aware of this, Jesus said to them, people were wondering, why is she doing this? Why is she wasting this, right? Jesus says, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always, you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Many scholars believe that this is Mary of Bethany. Right? And what she did was she anointed Jesus as he <clears throat> goes before and enters into the Passover, into Jerusalem, and what this signifies in the whole story and how Jesus mentions her and says, this will be spoken of. This will be preached throughout the world where the God, what she has done. I realize more and more is how are we known? You know, how are we known? Are we known by God? So much as it, uh, our focus sometimes is focused, how do I know God? What do I know about God? But perhaps also equally is, how am I known by God? John Piper, he says this in his book, Think. Deeper than knowing God is being known by God. What defines us as Christians is not not most profoundly what we have come to know him, but that he took note of us and made us his own. Right? That he 
<clears throat> took note of us and made us his own. How we are known by God, how we are people, for those who follow you, people of God. And what does that look like? And Paul, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. You know, the fear of God is not just this abstract fear of punishment, but rather I would want to say this love for God, this reverence for God. That as the midwives chose to do that, as they chose to follow God in this way, as they chose to devote their lives to loving God, that they were known by God. Their names are cemented here in scripture and also in the book of life. And what, <clears throat> what we see is what God does to the people of Israel, right? It says, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiply and spread. What God was doing could not be stopped. And these people, <clears throat> Shifra and Puya, they stood before God and they knew, they acted, they loved, and they did what was right. And perhaps that is an encouragement for us. And perhaps what's probably even more so of the story is how that foreshadows Jesus. Right? That Jesus, as he was betrayed, was protecting his enemy. Of what he was doing, he was saying, what am I, as he stood trial, he did not defend himself. As he was spending the nights in prayer, asking God, take this cup, but may your will be done, right? That as he was asking for all that, that he sacrificed his life so that we would have life. You know, the story that so often we focus on is having this good ending of our life here but rather there, are, there may be consequences for us choosing to do what is right. But we do that not because we have to, but because we are shown that God's plan and his will will never be stopped. And when we act in those ways, when we join him in what we do, we know that in eternity that it will make a difference. And in Jesus, in his life, as, as he submitted to his father, Right, as he was betrayed and gave up his life, as he was forsaken, and as he rose, that he gave all our lives a new life. That those who come before God that profess his name, confess it, that they are giving life and life eternal. And what these... <clears throat> two women, what they foreshadowed, perhaps, is for us uh, to see that Jesus did that. That he addressed his fears, yet laid down his life. That he brought people together for the gospel and for what God was doing. And that for all eternity, and what we see in Revelations, is worshiped and praised. I ask this as a reflection for us, is how are we known by God? How is our love for him reflected in our daily actions? Would we be willing to stand 
even when it is hard. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us, Lord, that even though even though we may forget that you don't. Lord, that you don't in ways of what's glorifying and what gives you glory, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength. That perhaps we're not encountering this right now, but at any time in our lives, that when we are challenged, challenged to do what is right or to do something that is morally or ethically wrong, that you would give us the strength, the ability to stand for what is right, stand for what would be honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, for this strength, for this courage. Lord, um, there's always so much social pressure all around us to just follow what everyone else thinks. But may you be our anchor. May you be, Lord, our guide. May we honor you with our choices, our actions. May we love you and love well. Lord, for any of us that, <clears throat> that perhaps is going through a hard time right now to, to do what is right, even when everything feels hard and hopeless, that you will remind us in Shifra and Pua how their choices change the trajectory for the Israelites. How in your story that you will never fail. In our lives here, even though they may not seem, Lord, what we want, or that we might get punished or have the consequences, but maybe we stand firm, Lord. Just like those of who we read in Revelations that we're resurrected and worshiped with you, Lord. Joined you in that. Lord, we just lift up, Lord, um, our weaknesses, knowing that it is not what we can do, but what you can do through us, Lord. Help us to see and know your voice. Help us to be confident that we are known by you and able because of your spirit. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.